It's time for Watch and Learn, the show where we discuss the life lessons we learn from the movies we watch. Today, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hey, Movie Maniacs, my name is Sky, and I'm here with my brother, Dusty. What is the haps, Dust? What's up, dude? I am doing great. How are you? I'm good. Are you happy to be back home? Yeah, so everybody out there listening, I went to California for a conference. It was in San Diego, which was great. You and I met up at that conference, which we had a ton of fun doing that, and then drove up from San Diego to Fresno, six-hour drive, because I'm starting a business Hopefully, Lord willing, it's going to be a, a gym and it's going to work out well. Um, so there was a business in California, in Fresno, more Clovis, which is right, you know, this neighboring city. So I wanted to talk to the owner, wanted to see what they have equipment wise and, and see what it's like and all that sort of stuff. So long story short, it was a, in my opinion, a successful trip. I really, really loved it. Got a, such great information. And so now I'm back in Phoenix and now we're recording our podcast. Cool beans, man. Yeah, it was really good hanging out with you. I mean, it's been a long time since you and I spent an entire week together. It was literally seven nights together, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, being at the conference together, that was a lot of fun. You and I working together, talking to people, and then um, us working on our... So we, you and I have, and letting everybody know, we have other businesses. And so that's what we've been working on, just brainstorming, collaborating, and all that good stuff. And I think it's really beneficial. Without a doubt, it was a great conference, and uh, maybe maybe we won't be going to that one again, but you and I will be hitting other conferences in the future. So let's get off of the conference talk. Let's get to Hollywood, and specifically Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So you and I actually, because you were here with me, we had the chance to watch this one together, and we don't get to watch too many movies together. So I really enjoyed that aspect, but when it comes to just this movie itself, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. What did you think of Once Upon a Time? Well... Uh, honestly, I, if it wasn't so darn long with not, not the length, the length, it's not that it's, um, it's when they have steady shots or still shots for 15 seconds on Leonardo DiCaprio's mouth for 15 seconds and then starts moving. And I'm like, this is just wasting my life. What's going on? And it's supposed to be dramatic and cinematography and all that crap. But it was like, there's so many of that stuff. And the, but like belaboring certain scenes that which is taking way too long. But the development, um, the characters, dude, the acting was phenomenal. Like all that stuff was absolutely terrific. But um, yeah, in all, I thought they could have cut it down to maybe like an hour and 45 minute movie and have been just as good. But I love, thoroughly love, because, well, not pause that thought. I, you and I never watch trailers anymore. And I remember seeing the trailer, and usually when it came out, it was just about, um, and I'm glad they didn't show anything else. I just saw Rick Dalton and Chet, no, uh, what was his name? Cliff. 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 Yeah, just seeing, you know, a has-been actor and a, and a, a stuntman. Uh, so I thought it was going to be a movie about that. I had no clue that it was a movie about the the murders, you know, with Charles uh, Manson and all that. I had no clue that it was anything about that. And so all of a sudden, so for... Uh, I love the switch in the Once Upon a Time tale, just like, um, you know, uh, Inglorious Bastard. So at the very end, they switch it up and make it a positive. I love that. But in the all, they could have made it a, an hour 45. What do you think? I did feel like this movie could have been sped up big time. I did like a lot of those time jumps and going from the present day to showing um, his television show or a movie and then him training for the movie, like with the 
flamethrower. I like that kind of stuff. But just those long, drawn-out scenes, I really think they could have cut at least 30 minutes out of the movie. And you know what's funny is there are a lot of... Um, I wouldn't say funny. It's just interesting. A lot of the Quentin Tarantino fans love that stuff. They love the long, long dialogue scenes, the slow talking, long dialogue scenes. You know, a conversation should take maybe two minutes. It goes on to 45 minutes. <laughs> just one conversation drawn out. So they love that stuff. And people say, hey, this movie didn't have as much dialogue as, as the other ones did and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, they like it. And so he plays to his strength. And in general, so what did you think about the twist at the very end? Did you see that coming? Did you anticipate it? Or did you want something? I, I was sitting there thinking, I do not want to see them get killed. Like, or no, the, the good guy, uh, Sharon Tate. Yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to relive because I had no clue that it was going to be like a twist on it. So I was just expecting it. I was like, oh crap, this is going to happen. And then they see him go into there. I was like, oh, this is good. So I love that. But what are your thoughts about that whole twist at the end? I feel the exact same way. Um, I really just, well, I guess I just like the fact that Tarantino, um, you know, it was a super brutal, awesome, fun fight scene at the end. I didn't see it coming because I thought, just like you thought, they were going to go up to Sharon Tate's house because that was the plan. But then, you know, they recognized uh, Rick Dalton's character. Oh, let's just take him out. He's a symbol of the man, Hollywood actor, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um but I really like at the very end, and you pointed this out as we were watching it. You said, oh, once upon a time, it's a fable or fantasy, whatever you said. And that makes sense. You know, they put that title at the very end to remind you, oh, yeah, it's a movie. And the entire time I was thinking Sharon Tate would get murdered. But just like you said in Inglorious Bastards, they flipped the script, killed Hitler, killed all of his Third Reich guys. And this one, they changed history just to make it more palatable and heroic. And just like you said, kind of happy. And I love the fact that they did it with this movie i was kind of like uh not anticipating what's the other what's the word of opposite event dreading what was going to happen to sharon tate same here i was thinking because i know i mean i i watched a, either a documentary or something on it and it's just horrific those the, uh, hippies are horrible <laughs> <laughs> hippies are horrible life lesson number one people <laughs> do not be a hippie mm -hmm. um Eric Cartman hates hippies too, you know. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, but thinking about the story, I was dreading that that they would actually show that or anything close to it, and I loved it at the end. Now, I mean, building up to the end was really, really long and drawn out, but I could see, like, I when I saw that ending, everything came full circle, and everything felt good in the end, and it made me feel good. And so it made me look a little past all the crap, not crap, like the just a long drawn out, like that scene where he's talking to that little girl. Man, that was a scene that was absolutely not necessary. I, I get it that they're trying to build up, like, that's why she came to him and said, you're the best actor, I've ever, or that was the best acting I've ever seen. I get it. But that was literally 20 minutes of what is in the world's going on here. I agree with you. It was a long scene, but it was integral to the scene later on when he breaks down and cries. And he, he killed it in that role. I mean, DiCaprio is one of our best actors, and he was just incredible in that scene. That's actually one of my favorite scenes out of the movie. You know, Rick Dalton, it was kind of like a, it was, I love it when movies do this acting within acting or a movie within a movie. A dude I, playing another dude playing another dude. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that stuff is so much fun. Tropic Thunder right there. Oh, it is so good because DiCaprio pulls it off, right? I loved his, when he started breaking down, um, uh, you know, after screwing up that scene in the bar and stuff. And then earlier he was talking to that precocious eight-year-old. And then later on she hits him with her compliment. And it just makes sense that um, 
you know, he's been a has-been, and this precocious little actor complimented him after he nailed the scene with his acting. The director complimented him. I mean, it was a really good build-up to that scene, and it made that scene hit so much more. I agree with you. It was a little long and drawn out, but that's often what, you know, Tarantino's known for. Like, a lot of uh, interesting, long, kind of detailed scenes letting things meander but then he's a master of that dialogue. You know, everything that they said in that scene made sense and helped you develop a sense of feeling for what Rick Dalton is about and this little girl, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree. Now, it did build up really well. I just was like, man, the whole time, it was such a long scene. But yeah, it did pay off really well. I, You're absolutely right. I think you're 100% right. DiCaprio is a brilliant actor. Now, I was reading something. It was apparently it was a little hard. I'm gonna say hard because I'm I'm just kind of reading into what they were saying on like the trivia stuff. But apparently on IMDb, so it was a little hard, or it's just a different thing to have DiCaprio playing Dalton and playing uh, uh, playing a character that's you know a dude playing another dude playing another dude. That was a little harder. And so what he did was in order to help um, him to be able to do it, it was the messing up the lines was something that either he. And the the director, or you know, Quentin Tarantino got in, um, but yeah, that really helped him to get into character. And what was really cool was that scene where he goes, he messes up the bar scene, he goes into his trailer, starts kicking things around, and starts you know yelling and all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna gotta quit drinking and all of that. That was good. And apparently, that was all ad libbed, and that was all um, DiCaprio making all of the stuff up, but he's also helping him to become the actor, um, you know, Rick Dalton and playing. And so it was, it was super awesome watching that progression and, and seeing DiCaprio play this part. I don't know. There's not many people that could probably pull off as good of a job that he did in this role. I agree with you 100%. Do you, did you like Django Unchained? I did. I, well, yes and no. I mean, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I think, uh, the main, no, Django, his friend, like who is that? Uh, Christoph Waltz. He is my favorite. Act- I'm gonna say my favorite actor. He's One the best the- actor ever. I mean, dude, he's amazing. So I love watching him. Um, DiCaprio. He played a, a predictable character, in my opinion. Um, this role that he played in here, a hundred times better, like dr- dramatically better than than Django. I agree with you there, but there was a scene in like a dining room scene in Django Unchained when he slammed his hand on the table, accidentally broke a glass, cut his hand, started gushing blood, and then he played through it. Like he's demonstrated time and again that he is one of the best actors and he's going to go down. He's going to go down as better than De Niro, better than Pacino, which Pacino was in this movie. Like DiCaprio will be one of our best of all time. I don't doubt that. I So let me ask you, if the roles were reversed and Pitt was playing... Rick Dalton and and vice versa. Um, DiCaprio was playing um, Ch- uh, Cliff. How do you think it would play out? Would it have been as good? Would it be worse? Better? I think they're both actors and they can play any role, the two of them. But if you think about Brad Pitt's strengths and what you've seen him in before, you've seen him in Fight Club. You you've seen him as a buff tough guy a fighter it makes sense that he is the stuntman you know whereas you've seen DiCaprio a lot of his movies if he ever takes his shirt off he looks a little bit pudgy and doughy he's never the most fit guy it makes sense that he would be an actor you could switch them and it might be believable but not as believable no no no. I get that but I'm saying that their acting ability could Brad Pitt have pulled off Rick Dalton I think so I think so I mean I don't think he's as nuanced of an actor as DiCaprio, but I still think he could have pulled it off. Oh, I, I, I like Brad Pitt just fine, but I don't think he could pull it off as well 
um, let alone better, but even as remotely good as DiCaprio. I just, I was just blown away at DiCaprio's acting. But anyways, um, I, that was something that I was kind of looking at the two different characters. Like, why would one be one and the, instead of vice versa? So that's just, you know, why it came up in my mind. Like, ask you that question. Hey, what do you think if they would switch the roles? But yeah, so I read also that the script had Brett Pitt actually being a, a detective instead of being the, like, the, the, in the story progression, um, instead of being in a, a stunt double it'd be so it's, i guess there's been plenty of iterations in the story but this is the way it played out but brad pitt turned down the offer for being a detective and then they worked it out to where he's a stunt double now and this is how the story came out oh nice i wonder what his role as a detective would have been like what crime would he have been in uh you know what crime would yeah. he have been trying to solve that would get him caught up in this whole thing yeah, same thing with like um, Pulp Fiction. This is Quentin Tarantino's type story where many different storylines end up in one. And so just like with Pulp Fiction, it's really fun because you see them all kind of converge and all of a sudden, boom, they're all together, which is really neat. And so same thing with like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, like really, really fun with lots of stories then all converging at one at the head. I guess that's what it could have been, huh? Just some other way to fit a detective into this movie. Well, and then the detective comes at the very end, like Brad Pitt's character comes at the very end and sees what's. I'm not, you know, it would. It's not saying that the story was exactly the same, and he would eventually yeah. show up there with somebody dead, uh, or you know, the the hippie's dead. But yeah, it was just an anyway interesting way that they're changing out the story, making it fit for people. Um, I even heard, read that Quentin Tarantino was re- he number one. It took him five years to work on the script and get it done, and so he's been working on it for that long. But he also wrote it first as a novel as a novel instead and then as he was going through he realized that he, it was a better as a script and a movie so he went that route cool man that's awesome so speaking of uh you know tarantino and stuff i had heard in interviews before this that he's always been talking about this movie as being kind of the story of the manson murders so when this movie came around i knew that's what is that that that's what it was about you said you didn't know what clued you into oh this is the charles manson sharon tate story was it just seeing her name or was it something else so i didn't even remember sharon tate after um i re- put two and two together that it was Charlie and Charles Manson and all that sort of stuff. Then I remember, I remember the name Sharon Tate. I didn't really piece it together until the very moment that they drive up the driveway. Well, I'm also remembering, you know, they're showing dates and this date and this date. I didn't think that was that big of it, like 1969, all that sort of stuff. I didn't think that was a big a deal until I see them drive up the driveway and the camera pulls back and makes sure that you see that name of the street. It was a CeeLo or something like that. Um, the street sign, the street name. Once it did that, I said, oh, crap, what is this? Like, there's a reason why they did that. What is this? Th-? Like, that, that you know, train of thought in my brain. Like, like, what, like, the hamster started moving really quick. Like, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, is this the Manson stuff? And then, then it started boiling all together. Cool. So earlier in the movie, when you saw that long-haired, long brown-haired guy go up to the house and talk to Emil Hirsch's character, you didn't think to yourself, that's Charles Manson? No. Well, if I remember correctly, that came after the the um, pan back and seeing the street sign. Does that make sense? So this oh, was all- so you're talking about oh you're so I'm sorry when you said watching the car drive up you weren't talking about Tex with the three girls no 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 you no, were talking the- about earlier with Sharon Tate and um. Yes. What's his name? Her husband driving up. Absolutely. The very, okay. like, like the first 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. like they're driving in. And I was like, there has to be a reason for that. Why is that? And then I was like, okay, there's a date. They've been saying like, is this supposed to be like real? Oh, wait. And this happened back then. Oh, this. And so yeah, you can see like the progression. Eventually, like, like within 
a minute of seeing that street sign, my brain went through all these things and I'm like, oh crap, is this the Mansons? I don't want to see her die. Yeah. That's pretty cool though. Like that's one of the reasons why you and I have always told people do not watch previews because that little surprise that you just now experienced, that made your, I, I think, I mean, you could tell me, but my guess is that made your movie, movie experience a little bit that more enjoyable. And at the same time, a little bit more dreadful, right? Because you're thinking, oh my God, at the end of the movie, we're going to see her die. And you just now realize that in the middle of the movie, that's got to, that's got to add a little nuance and a little bit flavor and make your movie experience more enjoyable. And that is, yes, you are 100% right. And that's the reason why I give this rating a B. Now, I give it a B. I really like it, but I'm not going to watch it again because it's so long. I might watch a couple of the clips, like like DiCaprio and the very, very end scene. Like I might watch a little bit of those here and there, but I won't watch the movie again. That's why I can't give it an A. But because I literally knew nothing about it. And I thought it was just an actor in a stunt double trying to figure out how to get back in the movie. And then all those mind-blowing things like, oh, this is really this and this is this and this is, oh, man. And then the very end, switching everything. Like, it was such like a roller coaster of like, wow, 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 wow. And so I give a solid B just because I didn't care for... The, how how drawn out everything was. If they if they made it like an hour forty five, it would have been good for me, and I'd probably give it an A. But it was super awesome. I think just because of the long the the longness or longness that's the right word. Um, how drawn out everything was. That's why I rank it down from A to a B. Yeah, you know when we exited the movie, or at some point, I told you that I'm giving this movie a D. But I've thought about it and it sat with me. I mean, you and I watched this like three days ago, so I've had time to think about it, right? And 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 uh, mull over the different ideas. And for the exact same reasons, everything that you just said, I'm giving it a B as well. And I'm probably never going to watch it again. Just like um, uh, that one, the first time the X-Men movie that you're introduced to Quicksilver, the only scene I ever watched from that movie, I go to YouTube and I watch the Quicksilver scene when he's running around um, that kitchen with all the cops there. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, such a good scene. I can watch that over and over again. Now, for this movie, I can watch that final scene and a couple small scenes throughout, but that final scene, so such gory violence. Um, uh, Cliff Booth is banging that redhead chick's into, head into the wall, into the <laughs> the mantle and everything like 10 different times. Love that stuff. I could watch that over and over again, but the rest of the movie, it's not as rewatchable as a Pulp Fiction or a Reservoir Dogs. I agree. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I I loved the the acting. I loved everything. It was just so long, but I could tell that they're telling a story. Um, what did you think about the scene where Brad Pitt's character Cliff goes into the hippie commune? It was super tense. Like uh, Tarantino's kind of not kind of. He's definitely a master with suspense, right? And I was expecting something crazy to happen. They're gonna attack him. He's gonna roll George's body over. He's gonna produce a gun. Or the red-headed chick is going to attack him from behind. Something was going to happen. But nothing really happened until the very end when he beat that hippie dude. Um, so I was a little let down by that. Yeah, I agree. It was such a long, long scene. that like Everything packed together that was so anticlimactic. And that's probably, or that's exactly what he wanted. But at the end, you're like, oh, man, that was irritating. <laughs> yeah, it was. I agree with you there. It, it, yeah, it's, that's one of the reasons why you never pick up a hitchhiker, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially a female that has hairy armpits. 
Yeah, yeah. You end up going to her, her commune and being bored for 30 minutes. It's not worth it. <laughs> Just stay out of there. <laughs> How many times have I done that, dude? Made that same mistake over and over again. <laughs> oh, one thing I did like in that little bit was they had a little side thought that there was a husband and wife that were just taking a tour on the the horseback riding. You know, they're trying to make money. They're they're doing it, and it's, they're having a business there. I thought that was a nice little touch that didn't – I wouldn't expect to be there, but it was just like, oh, yeah, because what's funny is in Arizona where I live, and probably everywhere, there's horseback riding, but uh, in about – an hour drive away from us, there's a horseback riding where we walk, we drive, ride through all the um, hills. We see all the cactus. We see, I mean, it's just beautiful seeing all that good stuff. Obviously, cactus can't as beautiful at the time, at times when you're not actually literally in a desert, but um, you know, with all the sand. But anyways, seeing and horseback riding brought me thinking, oh man, when I went to horseback riding, was it the hippie commune too? <laughs> Maybe, man. I guess you know when those uh, when those uh, dumpster diving trips to the supermarket when they don't really pay off and they don't have those special pickles, you need money to buy them. You know, yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. Hey, my favorite quote out of the movie. They said some pretty cool stuff, and I didn't remember them all. But the one that I wrote down was "Ma booze don't need nobody." When they were discussing that acid dip cigarette, you know. <laughs> I've never heard that before, yeah. but that's pretty cool. My booze don't need nobody. Uh, I don't even recall that one. Yeah, well, like it, you know, when register. he was discussing getting the acid dip cigarette and he put in the box to save it for later, um, yeah. that was DiCaprio's character of Rick just sitting there saying, I don't need nothing. I'm good with my liquor. Yeah. I, I remember another one that uh, Brad Pitt said was, what? Carrying his load? That's about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good too. That was in some of the previews that I saw. You know, I try to avoid previews as much as possible, but every now and then a little bit pops up and my eye just kind of catches it and I stick with it for a little bit, you know? Yeah, and what did you think about a few of the Quentin Tarantino squad, like the, the group of people not being in the movie? You know, he uh, you usually mean like has the same uh, actors. missing Samuel L. Jackson? Samuel or Uma Thurman or Tim Roth. Like Tim Roth is almost in every single movie. Like, what do you think about the missing those guys? Yeah, well, there were so many different roles. I mean, you had Maya Thurman in, her daughter was in it. But yeah. other than that, yeah, it was kind of a... It's interesting when you're kind of expecting or you're hoping to see some of your, your favorite actors from his other movies and they just don't show up, you know? I was hoping for Ving Rain coming. Yeah, has he been in anything... He's probably been in a few other of his movies other than Pulp Fiction, but I can't think of any right now. Probably not. I just liked him in, in uh, Pulp Fiction. That was the first introduction to Ving Rhames. I thought he was super awesome in that one. Gotcha. But now, oh, I man. also was reading that Tim Roth was actually in the movie. He just got left on the cutting floor. Uh, floor. <laughs> well, yeah, it was so, two, two hours and 40 minutes already. I mean, you've got to be cutting some stuff, you know? Yeah. So he was like a, an English butler or something. And so, yeah, he just got left on the cutting room floor. But, yeah, usually, just like... Um, who who was the guys that directed Dumb and Dumber? Um, the Farrelly Far- brothers. Far- Far- is it Farrelly? I thought it was Farrelly. Uh-huh. But yeah, they usually have the same guys. Adam Sandler has the same guys. Quentin Tarantino usually has the same guys. So um, I was kind of thinking there would be some of the similar same guys in there, but I didn't see many of them. Yeah, I totally understand that, man. If I was a director or producer, I would often work with some of the best people because you're going to be around them day in, day out for hours at a time. You want good people on your crew, you know? Yeah. You know who now? Even though he didn't look like it, doesn't look like DiCaprio. But who would have been a very good? Um, oh, let me get. Let, let me ask you. Who do you think would be a very good stunt double for DiCaprio if he looked like him, but doesn't? So uh, that's a bad way to say it. You're Somebody Chris that, Hemsworth. So Chris Hemsworth, maybe. But uh-huh. I was thinking 
Yeah, I, I'm asking a crappy question. Let me just start over. <laughs> Once again, Dusty following. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think yep. about if he looked like DiCaprio, this guy playing as Cliff, Keanu Reeves? Uh, I love Keanu Reeves and everything, dude. I'd be happy with it. You know, I don't, uh, I don't. Yeah, I think he would do just fine, but I think Brad Pitt is a more slightly more nuanced actor, so I I think I probably like him in that role more. Yeah, and you have um I I think Keanu Reeves would do a fantastic job. I think it it really fits up his alley, up his character, but he's not a sexy like type of guy. And so Brad Pitt is definitely the sexy type of guy, and so he fits really really well. But I think in the the acting like in just everything being himself or you know being like John Wick very like not talk at all, same thing with similar to Brad Pitt's character. I think uh, Keanu Reeves could have pulled it off, but um obviously you got Brad Pitt in there who's a sexy dude, you know. <laughs> That's he but you're right. Chris Hemsworth could have pulled it off, I think too, but he's a little taller than I think both of them. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit taller. And then he would have had to kind of slim down, not be so buff. But, I mean, I guess he did that with um, Hotel... What was that Hotel movie we watched? Royale. Hotel um, bad, Royale, bad, yeah. No, bad times no, no, at no. the El Royale. Battle at the El Royale? No, Bad Times at the bad El Royale. Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, if he was, like, that much smaller, I guess he could have played his stunt double, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but in all, I think the movie was, was fairly decent. Um, like I said, I give it a B just because my mind was blown every step of the way. Like, oh, I thought it was going to be this, and then now it's this, and then now, you know, it's... So it was really, really enjoyable because I don't watch the trailers. It's so much better not knowing anything about it. 100%. You know, I bet you the people who loved this movie more than anybody are those who could feel nostalgia for the 1960s because this one contained tons of music, tons of visuals, things that people that who were born in the 70s or, or I'm sorry, not 70s, I'm sorry, 50s or 40s would probably really like this movie. Like, I love Stranger Things because it hits on a ton of 80s stuff and, and 80s nostalgia is really you know, I mean, that's what they're hitting upon. Their their target market is guys like me, you know. So I think uh, people who grew up in the 60s would really love this movie. So I should watch Stranger Things? Yeah, you should. Okay, I just, I've heard a couple people talk about it. I just never done it. So is it like on Netflix or something? Yep, Netflix, three seasons. Start with season one. They're really good stuff. Awesome, I'll have to do that. Cool. Did you realize that this was Luke Perry's final role? After I read it later, after you know, just literally today, right before we start recording, after I watched the movie, I realized that. So he died before it was even released. So yeah, it's his final role. Yeah, what a bummer, dude. I like, I, I always liked Luke Perry. He seemed like a cool dude and all. Um, so bummer. I mean, he did, he did a decent job. It was a really small role, you know. Um, well, think. Speaking of Luke Perry, did you know they're recreating nine hundred two one zero? No, I didn't. All the same actors, obviously less. Luke Perry, but everybody is in it. And so I've had, I've seen commercials for it all the time. And I'm like, oh man, can't they come up with something new? But I never watched 90210 in general, so it's not going to affect me. I just was like, oh man, when you mentioned Luke Perry, it's like, they're going to have 90210 without Luke Perry. That's just weird. That is weird, man. I wasn't a big fan of it, but I watched a few episodes here and there, you know. Um, One thing I really liked is Brandy. Best dog ever. Fan. Fantastic. Now, I'm definitely not a pit bull fan. Um, and uh, let me ask you, Sky, have you had any run-ins with pit bulls before? 
Yes, I have. You know, uh, yeah, you know exactly what happened. I was climbing on our fence. Our neighbors had a pit bull. And I was the dummy climbing on the fence, right? But I slipped. My hand went down on the other side of the fence while I was still on top of it. The pit bull jumped up and bit on my hand. And I got a huge nine-stitch scar on my ring finger on my left hand because of it. And um, bad experience. I mean, it was my own fault for being up there. Pit bulls are... In general, a little bit aggressive dogs, but maybe as a, I don't know, how old were we? I was nine and you were seven or maybe 11 and nine, something like that. I probably just didn't really understand how dangerous that dog was to a little kid. Yeah. And, you know, when we're young, we think we're full of like just, you know, invincible and everything. But yeah, literally I would, I would be beating my kid. What are you doing on the fence? There's a dog right there. Do you think? Yeah. I, I completely understand. But obviously being irate that the dog's actually capable or, you know, but I have a Rottweiler. And the Rottweiler is super sweet to everybody, but she's absolutely protective of my kids and absolutely protective of her property. So, you know, if we go out to like a dog park, she's scared and scared of everything. But at her home, she just could protects everything and everybody. And so obviously if I'm there, she's going to make sure that um, she's going to be okay and be friendly because I'm going to I'm going to make sure she's friendly. But dude, if somebody comes in my backyard without she's going to go after him because she's protective. That's just that's what pit bulls and Rottweilers are. They're like. That's in their blood is to protect. And I love that about my Rottweiler. Now, pit bulls can be just mean in general. They can be good. I know there are probably some, some people listening to this that they have pit bulls and they love them and they're really, really good. But just inherently, just like a Rottweiler, you just got to know that they are more aggressive to protect. And so you just got to be, you know, definitely aware of that. But yeah, Brandy's a fantastic dog. Uh, 100%, man. So would you take the time to train a dog to do that, to do what Brandy did? Uh, I like the idea of it, but no, I'm not willing to take the time. Yeah. I mean, look, just looking at how steady she was, how calm she was, um, in this whole scenario, and then just making a noise with your mouth, having him attack, you know, that's, that's super impressive. If the dog could, now I, I don't doubt that a dog could do that because they train like all the canine units and all that sort of stuff. Those guys, those dogs are like super, super trained. I mean, they're, they're amazing animals. And so there's no doubt that you can do that. I just wish I could. I just don't have the time or really desire to train a dog to, you know, like if somebody's going to attack and I could have them attack instead, but really love that dog. Yeah. Totally, and I didn't realize it till just now, but at the beginning of the movie, they showed how well-trained Brandy was when he dumped two cans of dog food in, dumped the hard dog food in, and then she didn't go eat it until he said something, you know? So I think that was kind of setting up the possibility for that future attack in the movie. Absolutely. I mean, as soon as he did the... the that I just like, oh, there, there he goes. Like that's it reminded me of how trained she was because only a trained dog could do any of that. Like a really well trained dog can do that. Because if somebody broke into my house and they had a gun, and the, and, and Lacey, our dog, would sense that I'm like like uh, um, on edge, my dog would just be bolting right at barking and bolting at and, and just the way it would be to be able to be reserved like that. It was like, wow, that's that would be a really well trained dog. Really well trained. Yeah. And if you could pay somebody to do that for you, well worth the money too. Absolutely. So let's get into the lessons. What is your first lesson from this movie? 
Yep, my first lesson is pick yourself up by the bootstraps and soldier on with the job you were hired to do. So DiCaprio's character of Rick Dalton, uh, he came back from the brink of like a nervous breakdown or just breaking down on set, and he killed it with that whole kidnapping scene, throwing the little girl on the ground, talking to Luke Perry. It was amazing just for the movie itself. That could have been part of its own um, Tarantino movie the, with the way he did that role, all the dialogue in that scene. Um, DiCaprio nailed it. And just in general, you know, you're hired to do a job. It's your job. You might screw up now and then, but that's when you got to pick yourself up and then get the job done i 100 percent agree and at the same time you know america um we kind of have this thinking like and especially nowadays with the internet they say you know do what you love like forget about everything else and just do what you love to do i completely disagree with that i'm going to do what's what i need to do to feed my family i'm going to do what i need to do to take care of everything oh, that all my responsibilities so instead of doing what you love you love what you do, like whatever you have. If you're a street sweeper, love it. Be the best at it. Be the absolute most you know enjoyable person to be around while you're doing it. And then who knows? You might get a job after that if you want to move up. But you want to love what you do instead of do what you love because you know all of a sudden you might fall out of love. I just don't like doing it anymore. I'm going to go ahead and leave. No, no, no. You have responsibilities. Take care of those responsibilities. So I love that lesson. You know, pick yourself up, move on, and keep on keeping on. Yeah, and I love your addendum to my lesson, you know, your addition to it. You're totally right about that. All right. And you can I would easily see everybody listening to this, knowing me and listening to other episodes, would know or can foresee my first lesson um, because I love being able to protect my family. So my first lesson is have a weapon, especially a flamethrower, near you at all times. Absolutely. That was so Man, that scene at the end when he went to his little shed and pulled that out, I flipped out. I was cheering. I absolutely loved it. And the rest of the audience and you were as well. Absolutely. It was so fun. But, you know, when I saw DiCaprio or uh, Rick Dalton, you know, kind of or get out of the pool and be like, oh, scared and like kind of creep away going into the shed. I was like, where's he going? Like, what's what's going on? This crazy lady's in there. I thought he was kind of like run away to hide and close the door and get away. But here he comes out with the flamethrower. I was like, yeah, that's so awesome. It was, man. And that, that uh, you know, it, it, I don't know what you call it, but at the beginning of the movie, one of my favorite scenes was him showing the movie, that prior movie that he made, hiding up in the balcony. And then he torches those Nazis. And it looked, it looked real. It looked like there were dudes down there on the first floor. He was up on the second store. The flame, or the story, I mean to say, the flame came out of the flamethrower and it looked super real, super awesome. And I really like the fact how they, they showed him training with him. He says, is there anything we could do about the heat? No, sir, it's a flamethrower. It's a flamethrower. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> really good stuff. And the fact that, yeah, obviously he trained with it. And I guess back in the day, they let you take props home pretty easily. So he kept that one. <laughs> I would absolutely. You know, they still, like you can still find those. Obviously, they're really expensive. I don't know if you can actually buy them off the market. But uh, yeah, I've seen um, like TV shows and stuff where they, they go to places and people have them. But those things are super hot. I mean, even if you go buy a flame, like if, if you go like, buy a campfire, it's going to be hot. But something that's shooting that out using an accelerant like propane or you know some uh, even like uh gasoline like that is that flame is so hot so yes 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 so okay so what's your next lesson uh my next lesson is if it's not hell yes it's hell no and that's often easier said than done and i got this lesson because kurt russell's stunt coordinator that that character of his he broke this rule and he hired cliff and it ended up with bruce lee getting thrown around and his wife's car getting beat up right so 
I don't know who originally said this quote, but it really does apply to all aspects of life. Like life's too short to do the stuff you don't want to do. So when somebody offers you something and you don't immediately jump at it and say, hell yes, then just turn it down. And so that's what Kurt Russell's character should have done when it came to hiring Cliff on as a stunt team. Your wife's going to hate it. She's going to be super mad at you for hiring him. You don't want to hire him. Don't do it. I think that's a great point. I recently, like literally like three days ago, had a friend of mine say, hey, I'm starting a business. I want you to be a part of the business. And I have already got three businesses right now. And I'm like, man, I'm also starting my gym, which would be another business. I'm like, do I really want to be a part of another business? It's going to be this, this, and this. And all these thoughts coming through my brain. I didn't think of that quote, but now I've already said no. Like yesterday or two days ago, I told him no. Um, and But that quote that you brought up is exactly what I should have just ran through my brain. Because it was like, I really don't want to do it, but it might be a good, blah, blah, you know, kind of hemming hawing. But I did, in the end, I did want to do it. And I thought, I should have thought, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. So I completely agree with that. I love that lesson. Good. And I'm glad you turned your friend down right there. I mean, you can still keep up that friendship and support him with, you know, helping him through it, but you don't need to be an actual part of it. Yes, absolutely. Sweet. Okay. So my second lesson is if you are ever in a pool, and someone roasts you with the flamethrower, just go under the water. Yeah, totally, man. But she I mean, was in it, so much pain. I love the fact that he threw that dog food right at her face, cracked all of her teeth, probably broke her nose. That, that was a gruesome bit of, uh, of violence. Well, then Brandy there. goes after her, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. But, yeah, no, I, it's more of like, dude, if you're in the water and you're burning, I was like, why is she just not going under the water? Now, I know she'll eventually pop back up and he can roast her then again. But I'm like, she's literally standing up above the water and getting roasted. I just yeah. thought that was rather funny. It was. And it was actually fun to watch her. Like, she was willing to kill just random people she didn't know. You know, go in there with a knife and gut them. I mean, the fact that she died, she deserved it 100%. That was enjoyable to watch. Although, I can't remember the... Um, it was a line where the the detective or the cop said, "Hey, is everybody okay?" He's all, "Yeah, but those freaking hippies aren't or something." Like <laughs> uh, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line too. I don't remember it either, but I remember laughing at that for sure. Yep, yep. Okay, what's your third lesson? Uh, try not to think with your little brain. So. Cliff Booth, when he picked up Pussycat, he was right when he inquired to, you know, as her, as to her age. You know, there's jailbait out there, and it takes a little bit of forethought and some self-control to not be taken in by it. Absolutely. So, I, the prison is trying to get me for, you know, 30 years, and I'm it's not good. Because of you, I'm not going there or something like that. Yep. Absolutely. Exactly. So he made the right choice there. And, you know, we uh, should be doing the same thing. Anybody over 18? Yeah. And especially, like... You, you're you going to ask that question eventually, but throughout the whole movie, whenever he sees her, he's kind of like flirting with her. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But anyways, okay. So my third lesson is train your dog to chew off somebody's face, arm, or balls. That That is a good lesson for that self-defensive, but are you actually going to do that, uh, do that for yourself and your dogs? No, no, I'm probably not. Yeah. Just a little bit too much work. You know, you've got too much other stuff going on and you have the carry and conceal permit. That's probably decent enough for the one in a million chance that you actually encounter a bad situation, you know? Yeah. And and honestly, inside my house, uh, well, anytime I go out of the house, I have a firearm on me and it's really just to protect my family. You know, I find that gun laws, they only will stop me. Like if somebody passes a law saying you cannot carry a gun on you ever, um, I'm going to be a law-abiding citizen. It's like, crap, that's a law? Well, I'm not going to break the law. I'll, I'll, I won't carry it. But if I was a law uh, breaker, 
I would say, who cares if you pass the law? I'm still going to carry a gun. So I carry it to protect my family because I'm a law by citizen. But inside my house, I absolutely have a gun within, at any given point, it's maybe like three steps, maybe four steps away from me for me to grab a gun anywhere in the house because I want to make sure that I'm taken care of. Um, obviously, they're, they're safe, they're protected and all that sort of stuff, and, um, uh, you know, put away so the kids can't get to it and all that stuff. But I can quickly and easily get to the firearm as quickly as possible because uh, the only thing important to me is my family. I want to make sure they're taken care of. And I want to have a fight with somebody who breaks into my house. I want it to be as uneven as possible. I want every advantage as possible. And so that's why I have firearms. Like, it should not be a fair fight. If somebody's coming to hurt me, it should not be a fair fight. I'm going to have every advantage. I want as lopsided a fight as possible. I 100% agree with you. That's why I always have a horse and a few hardback books in my house. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to John Wickham for sure. <laughs> John Wickham. There you yep. go. Cool, cool. So um, uh, those are some great life lessons I think we took away from this movie. But I want to know, what is your Monday morning quarterback? So my Monday morning quarterback comes to when you have Cliff going into the commune. And I personally thought... Dude, there's like a crap load of commune people here, and they're they're hippies. You never know how crazy they are. They might be on acid or something. I'm gonna protect myself and gun. I or run. I don't care. Oh, you know, drive away. Just leave because I don't know how good or bad these people are. I don't. You know, if there's a guy in there that I was my friend, or apparently he wasn't that close of a friend. He's like, who? Who are you? Obviously, he's old and senile and all that sort of stuff. But um, you know, just checking on him. It's not. I don't need to check on him. I could just call the police, or you know, just take care of him that way. I don't. I anyway. So yeah, I think it would have been good, Cliff, to just turn around and drive away. But at the same time, he wouldn't have known them, the hippies at the commune. You know, when he, at the very end of the movie, you know, he wouldn't have known that. Hey, you're the hippies at the commune and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you're right. So it did play in towards that. It, it, it played into that final scene for sure. So it was worth it. But yeah, you're right. It, it's a good Monday morning quarterback. At the time, he should have turned around and booked it after dropping Pussycat off. I agree with you. Yeah. What about yours? Um, at the end of the movie or towards the end of the movie before that final ugly fight scene, Tex was in his car with the three girls driving up. His car is super loud. Why are you driving a car so loud anyway through neighborhoods, right, where you're planning on committing a crime? But that's not my Monday morning quarterback. Uh, that was a really stupid act. They should have found a better car, just walked up the hill, whatever. But when he got up there, Rick Dalton came out, was yelling at him. He saw their faces. At that point, that's the time. Just end your mission. Go back home. Pick a different place, a different neighborhood, a different time or whatever to commit your murders. Because even even if like you wanted to kill Rick Dalton, you came back and actually successfully killed him. While he was out there yelling at you, you're dirty, stupid hippies, all that kind of stuff. He probably woke up other neighbors. They were looking out their window. They saw you as well. So... You know, when the gig is up, the gig is up. Get out of there. Do it some other day. Yes, that is a great Monday morning quarterback because you're right. Being as loud and crazy as it was, somebody screaming in my street. I'm looking out the window like, what's going on? So, yeah, that's that's good. Now, what was your prop? Oh, my prop. My, my prop. I would like to. <laughs> it's got to be the flamethrower. It really does. Yeah, how can you not go with the flamethrower? I mean, everybody's going to remember that. Like, I now I don't want to have that that big print uh, or painting of <laughs> DiCaprio's face or uh, Rick Dalton his face. You know, as your parking spot stall. I don't want that. But um, the flamethrower is one. Maybe oh, maybe get the the acid dip cigarette. Maybe something like oh, this is a cigarette. Well, that didn't. Or the can of dog food that got thrown in the lady's face. Uh, there's so many different other things that you could. But the flamethrower is by far, in my opinion, has to be the number one thing that everybody's going to remember. 
Yeah, and like you said, maybe that rat-flavored dog food. Um, I actually first thought of Rick Dalton's black hat. You know, as we watch the movie, I think about cool props. I like that black hat he was wearing, uh, you know, when he did the scene with the little girl and everything. Um, But then when that flamethrower came on the screen later on a second time, that has to be it. Yes, I definitely agree. Sweet. So what is your favorite scene out of this movie? Um, so obviously the end scene is, it just is so really, really good. Um, if I'm going to watch anything, it's going to be watching that one again. I did really like, um, a couple of the DiCaprio playing Rick Dalton that like struggling. And I did like those scenes because the acting was phenomenal. But if I'm going to pick one to watch over again, absolutely going to be from the time they get out of the car, uh, you know, the hippies get out of the car, text and all them walk up the hill and then go into um, their house. I'm going to watch that whole end scene over and over again. I agree with you. That's my favorite scene. Um, but then just speaking about the end, I really like, so uh, Rick Dalton, he's been on a downward trajectory with his career. He's not really a leading man. Now he plays the heavy in all of his roles and stuff. I really liked, I got a really good feeling out of the end when Emil Hirsch's character I can't think of the character's name, but he invited him up to the house or not. He invited, he was talking to him. And then Sharon Tate said, why don't you come up for a drink? I really like it. It left me with a feeling like, wow, now Rick Dalton and Cliff as well. They have a crazy story to tell. They're going to be back into work. Sharon Tate's going to spread a good word about him. He's going to start getting leading man roles again. Like it left me with a good feeling, not just because Sharon Tate lived, but I, but I think our two main characters are on an upwards traje- trajectory now. Yeah, it does leave you, like, as opposed to the real story where it's just disgusting and horrific, it leaves you feeling so much more like, man, this is great. It's, it's really great for everybody because we know what could have happened yep. and what could have happened. And now we have this really, really cool. Yeah, I agree with you. So before we select next week's movie, anything else about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No, I think we're good. Cool beans. So this was my choice. What are we watching and learning from next week, Dust? I want to learn from two awesome dudes that make good movies, really entertaining, um, buff and one more wiry and more lean, but Hobbs and Shaw, the next Fast and Furious, you know, uh, in the line. What's this? Is this maybe Fast and Furious, like 68 or something like that? Yeah, r- roughly right around there. And they're both two bald dudes, too. There you go. I'm getting bald. I think I am. So let's, let's do it. You know what's funny is uh, back in the day, every one of your big action heroes needed to have a full head of hair. But nowadays, I mean, The Rock and Jason Statham, they prove that you don't need it. Yes, that's absolutely right. Plus, they look super buff and and like chiseled and hard and like just super awesome dudes. They, they just look like cool dudes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And they have the physical chops. I mean, with all the martial arts and just the fighting that they've done in various movies and stuff, I agree this is going to be a good one. And Idris Elba is the bad guy in this one. And and I, I have to say that I'm thankful I have not seen a single trailer for it. All I know is Hobbs and Shaw are in it with Idris Elba bad guy. Nice. Cool bean. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And of course, now you know how we feel about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We want to hear your thoughts. So go to watchandlearnpodcast.com slash pod 59. You can leave a comment and tell us what kind of life lessons you took away that we failed to mention. And of course, any Monday morning quarterbacks or your favorite prop from the movie as well. Alrighty then, my name was Sky, and I'm Dusty, and we will return next week with Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw.